Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series today. So if this is your first time amongst us, then you are so welcome to be here. My name, if we've not met, is Adam Whitley, and I get the privilege of being the pastor here at Kidderminster Elam Church. And we are going into a new series today called A Christmas Timeline, because if you haven't guessed it yet, we are definitely in the Christmas season. And just next week, this building here is going to be completely transformed. We're going to have over 700 people come through the doors in the space of about three or four hours. They're going to have breakfast. Uh, they're going to have an experience of Santa. But more importantly, they're going to have experience of a live nativity walkthrough where they'll get the gospel story told to them. Uh, in a live uh, form each person will leave with a a present and a a time of celebration and also an invite to come back to our carol service so this series we we're going to start today it's called a christmas timeline and we're going to begin today uh, and it's going to take us all the way down to christmas day where steve miles will be closing with a message of celebration In this series, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story from a number of different perspectives. Now, don't switch off because if you know me, uh, I like to be a little bit different. So you might be thinking, oh gosh, he's going to do the same old, same old Mary, Joseph, the kings, uh, the sheep, the shepherds, all that jazz. Uh, and the stars and the angels. Well, guess what? I am going to look at some of those major players, but we're also going to look, more importantly, at some of the minor characters that you may not have picked up upon. And we're going to look at these different perspectives. So we will look at Mary and Joseph's situation. We'll look at the shepherds. But we're also going to be looking and meeting different characters, such as Anna and Simeon as well. This series really is a reminder that Jesus' birth is a welcome invitation to everyone the poor the rich uh, the unknown the the well-known the famous the men women uh, man and child it is for all of us from every background and every race because the story of Christmas really is about hope and he who comes to bring hope peace joy and love and uh, we're going to be going to devote the rest of this month to messages all about the theme of Christmas and here is why you see the birth of Jesus Christ was the most incredible birth of all times in one sense it was just a normal birth a normal baby being born right like any other child in that period but on the other hand the child that was born was unlike any and every other child you see because Jesus's birth is what divides time we talk about the year don't we 2023 AD and everything before that was BC before Christ before Jesus Christ and AD is Anno Domini which is the year of our Lord you see his birth Jesus's birth has divided our calendar so we mark this time by his entrance into the world and we call it Christmas and so for these next four uh, five meetings that we've got between now and Christmas day we are going to be focusing on the story of Christmas because it is literally the most important uh, event one of, of a second to Easter is one of the the most important events 
in human history. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. I love it. I, I don't know if you've, you've gained that, uh, a little bit of it being around me over the last few weeks or the last few days. I love Christmas. Uh, and sometimes I've been mistaken for this guy. If you don't know who that is, that's not Will Ferrell. Well, it is. But it's Buddy the Elf. And I can be a bit like Buddy. I love Christmas. I'm really bouncy and I'm cheery. And I eat loads of Christmas food. I made eggnog the other night. And and I just love Christmas. All things Christmas. I love eating Christmas sandwiches. I love going out for Christmas dinners. I love the food. I just love Christmas. I love the clothes. I love all the silliness and the fun that comes with it. But you know, at times, and if I'm truthful... I've looked a little bit more like this guy. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, that's John McClane from Die Hard. Now, there is a huge debate, isn't there, whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not, and I'm not going to go into that right now because we don't have time, because we all know the truth is it's one of the greatest Christmas movies of all times. But there are times in my life at Christmas that I have looked like this. This guy looks pretty stressed. He looks pretty intense and because Christmas is also not just a joyous and fun-filled time but it can be a stressful time and it's easy to go from this to this from hopeful to hopeless and today I want us to look at the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective and we're going to bust some myths and also also hopefully go away with a deeper sense of hope and excitement for the Christmas season being reminded that Jesus ultimately came to bring life and hope to all mankind you know one of my favorite things about Christmas uh, that I hinted about a moment ago is the food I just love it in fact Christmas dinner is probably my most look forward to meal every single year I love it I kind of hype it up a little bit and I try to to up it each year, the ante. And I know that's a little bit bad, but I get so excited. I get sucked in by all the the food channel shows, the Jamie Olivers, the Nigellas, the Gordons, the River Cottages. You name it, I'll watch it. And I'll watch it on repeat and I will try to do what they do. I absolutely love it. In fact, in my family, my tradition as a family growing up, we, we really had went to town at Christmas dinner. It was kind of like one of those indulgent moments. And so we would uh, have almost like an M&S style Christmas is what me and Bridget have come up with. That, that my parents were like the M&S Christmas. And so for me, let me paint you a picture. That is what we would have. We would have a starter. We'd have a little, little champagne and a little bit of, you know, smoked salmon and stuff, bellinis and all these little things going on. And then we would go into, uh, please don't judge me for this, then we'd go in and have a starter, maybe a prawn cocktail or melon or something like that, or parma ham, or um, we've done black pudding, scallops and stuff like this. We, we, we'd go to town on it. And then we would have the big roast and all the things going on and all the trimmings and it would be amazing. And then we'd have the puddings and then we'd eat it all for the next week as leftovers. I would love it because it was the one thing that I would look forward to because I know there would be a never-ending supply of food. And I just, I, and it's really indulgent and know that. So please don't judge me for that. This, this is how I used to be, okay? And then I met Bridget. And uh, I met Bridget and she said, uh, well, we got engaged. She said yes to me, getting married. 
And so we decided that we were going to have our last Christmas before we were married, and we had to decide what we were doing. And Bridget said to me, Adam, everything's going to change next year, so this year I'm going to spend Christmas with my family. What do you want to do? And me, being the wonderful fiancé that I am, decided that I also was going to spend Christmas with Bridget's family. And so Bridget said to me, great, we have such a good time. I love Christmas. We have all this great food. It's going to be amazing. My dad invites everybody around. It's going to be so, so much fun. I thought, wow, cannot wait. Christmas Day comes. We go, we get up, we go into church. I think we went to St. George's at the time, actually. And then we decided that we were going to go to Phil's house for Christmas. We went to the pub first. And I thought, wow, I've not done this before. This is exciting, seeing everybody. Food and drink. Oh, I'm getting excited. Go back to Phil's house for, for, for Christmas dinner. And it's not what I'm used to. And it's not what I'm comfortable with. And it's a little bit awkward for me because I'm like, where's the starters? Where's the, all this? Where's all the finery and the champagne and all the nice things? And... It's not because I'm trying to belittle my father-in-law, because actually it was a great lesson for me to learn in this. Because within it all, what I saw was lots of different people being invited to come around the table, and I was one of them. You see, it didn't matter about my background, whether I'd come from a middle class home with money and things and nice things. It didn't matter if I was um, someone who was struggling in life. It didn't matter if I had issues in my life. It was the same principle for all of us. We were all welcomed around the table. And you know, the beautiful thing was, it was different to my family and I found it uncomfortable to start off with, if I'm honest with you. We had turkey dinosaurs and bits of pizza and there was cold things and it was a bit mad. We had an upside down turkey. Uh, Phil realised the next day that he'd only carved the bottom half of the turkey and not the top half. But it taught me a massive lesson that we have brought into our own family tradition since we have got married. And, and 11 years later, you know, we've blended these two kind of family traditions together where we have a, we have a little bit of luxury, but we don't go over the top. And, but we have an open door policy that everybody can come in to our family and sit around the table. Why? Because everybody is welcome. I learned so much that day. That it doesn't matter about your family background. doesn't matter what you've done or who you are, but everybody is welcome around the table of the Father. And do you know what was true of that day then is the same principle now. Everybody is welcome around the table of the Father. And I hope that as we unpack this series, we will realise that everybody is welcome into the Father's family. I tell you that story because I want us, as we look at the Christmas story, I want us to understand that hope that we can receive, but also offer to people everywhere. And so let's look at this famous passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. I'm reading from the NIV version, and it says this. It says, so in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinius was governor of Syria. (coughs) And everybody went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. 
He went there to register with Mary, who he was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. They were there some time and the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. Father, I just pray this morning as we gather around your scriptures and we read about this first Christmas experience. Lord, as we read about this moment when you came from heaven to earth, to show us hope and love, to bring us peace and comfort. Lord, I pray that you would speak deeply into our hearts. Lord, I pray right now as we gather around your scripture for these next few moments, Lord, anything of me would die away, but everything of you would rise up, Lord Jesus. And Lord God, would you bless us as we gather now. Amen. Amen. And so today I, I want to myth bust a few things in this story because I think it's a story that a lot of us have read over time. A lot of us are familiar with. It's a story that non-Christians are familiar with. It's a story that, that the global community of people are familiar with. All over the world in every different language we will be seeing people celebrate this story and experiencing the nativity in different shapes and forms in this period of time. But you know there have been some things that have been added into the story that aren't necessarily true and have changed I believe some of the deeper meaning that God has tried to communicate through this story to his people and so I want to myth bust I want to encourage and I want us to leave feeling more hopeful than we came in I want us to go into this season feeling hopeful that there is a God of hope who wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit in order for us to do something as a result of this I am excited I don't know if you can tell that because I believe that this message in this series is really Important. So the first thing here is this, that Joseph, along with a very pregnant Mary, went to Bethlehem for this census. Being of the line of David, Joseph had to go back to his family's home, to his family's hometown to register. Now, what is interesting is, I think, is that we assume for a lot of us, we assume, and assumptions can lead us down the wrong path. And we've, we've heard about that over this last six, seven months that I've been here. But this is the thing. That, again, we assume that he's, he's there and nobody would know him because he comes from a different town. But you see that not only do we think that no one would know him, but no one would try and help him because he's an out-of-towner. But here's the thing, uh, and what's interesting is that we assume this of him, but because he's from the house of David, the family of the line of King David, by the way, if you're wondering who that David is, it's not just like David Attenborough or David Jones, I don't know who that is, but, but it's not just someone random guy who used to be the mayor of the town. It is the king of Israel, King David, that is who Joseph's family are that's this family line the most famous and prestigious family line in fact a town is called the town the city of David this unlocks a welcome like no other it means that Joseph who is of the family of David can go back to Bethlehem and he can say I'm so and so the son of so and so the son of so and so so and so and the son of so and so so and so on and so on and so on and every home all of a sudden in Bethlehem is open to him. It's not only from the town, but he's from the most important family in the town. 
You see, he's gone back to register to confirm who he is. And he may not be physically from that place. He may not have lived there. He may be living somewhere else. And he comes into his family's hometown and he says, hey, I'm the son of so-and-so who is the son of so-and-so and so-and-so and etc. I'm of the family of David. And all of a sudden, people say, I know who you are. I know your family. Let me help you. I think this is a really amazing thing. And I think, and I just want to say this as a result, think about this for a moment. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, when we say yes to him, we are therefore also adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters of the Most High, which means this, that we are no longer just from the town, but we belong to the most famous family in the town as well. We are adopted into the family of God, which means we know that no matter what your background, no matter whether it's been good or bad, rich or poor, we now have a new identity in Jesus and in his family. Ephesians 1 verse 5 confirms this. It says this in the New Living Translation. and I love this version. Let me read it to you. God decided, listen to this, this is awesome. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through who? Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Love that. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. Through the person who was also of the line of the king David. Of also the line of, the, of David in the town of Bethlehem. Isn't it amazing that he isn't just of a family of that town, but he's of the most prestigious family of that town. And guess what? You and me are now part of the most prestigious family ever. I love what theologian and author Kenneth Bailey uh, says about this subject. In fact, he's written this book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And I would really recommend everybody to read it because it will change your perspective on some of those uh, some of these things that we tend to believe about Jesus about the followers of Jesus about his family and about that time I would really encourage you to get hold of that book and read it and this is what he says he says um, he says uh, this about Joseph he says the family of David was so famous in Bethlehem that local folk apparently called the town the city of David being of that family, Joseph would have been welcomed anywhere in town. And so we start to see that actually this story that we love where there's no room in the inn and they're rushing and they're panicking and nobody wants to help them isn't necessarily true. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit more in a bit. But it's clear when we look into this just a little bit deeper that there's more to this story and also more for us to take away from this story than just this beautiful little baby being born to bring hope. There's a wider narrative here and we're going to unpack some of this more as we look into this. You see, the second thing that's important for this is this, that we have become accustomed to assuming that Mary and Joseph struggled to find a place to stay when they arrived and then suddenly gave birth to Jesus. We, we kind of assume that it was one of those last minute things when we hear those stories of we just got to the hospital and the baby was born. 
But I'm, my, we didn't have that experience, me and Bridget, because we just got to the hospital, and then 20 odd hours later, she was in an emergency C section. That didn't happen to Mary in this instance, by the way. She didn't just get there, and it happened that Jesus just appeared. Miraculous. Because what Luke's text does not say any of these things. Actually, the King James Version gives us a really clear and, and provides the most precise language. It says this in Luke 2.6, the King James Version. Have a look at the screen. It says, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. According to cultural traditions, Joseph would likely have found a place to stay in plenty of time. He wasn't a stupid bloke, by the way. He was quite a smart individual, Joseph. And, and if not, they were not far, you see. If, if, if he couldn't have found a place for them to stay, <coughs> they weren't actually that far from Elizabeth and Zachariah, which were Mary's cousins. So they could have gone there as well. They had family fairly close as well. But our nativities, our movies, they frequently portray this as a stressful running out of time type of situation. Um, and, and it creates drama, doesn't it? It creates what we want at Christmas. It creates the theatrical thing that we need. But the Bible doesn't say that. And I think, it, and I think it does God a disservice. And also Joseph. You see, first, I want to make this clear. God does not make mistakes so if you were sat here today thinking, well, I'm a mistake, or maybe I'm here by mistake, or that God's made a mistake, I want to tell you today, this is the truth, that God cannot make a mistake. He does not make a mistake. And it's not true if you believe that. Psalm 18 verse 30 says this, that this, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And God picked Joseph to be Jesus's earthly father, to bring him up and to nurture him, to look after Mary, to love her and protect her. And in doing so, he knew that Joseph was a responsible man. He'd therefore already shown a great deal of, of wisdom and aptitude. He was a carpenter, so he would have taken time and diligence and care over his tasks and his work. And he did the same by bringing Mary with him for the census. He would have known how to find accommodation for his family. Finally, and thirdly, this is an important thing I want to say to you this morning. We know that they found accommodation in an inn. Now, we being westernised believe, uh, I think for a lot of us, for a long number of years, maybe this has been busted a little bit more recently. But for a number of years, we believe that this kind of was like a pub. Or like the best Western or uh, an Airbnb or a hostel or something like that. And, and you get there and they're kind of like, oh, well, I don't have an inmate, but uh, I don't have a room for you. But I've got a lovely barn conversion in the process at the moment. There's uh, some animals in there. But if you swing me a few denarii, we can uh, get a mattress from uh, somewhere and we can make it comfortable for your missus to have a baby if you want that. How about that, sir? Uh, we'll get a long burning fire in there. That'll be decent. But it, it's not like that at all, you see, because, because it's, it's just not about them scrounging. It doesn't say any of it. It's clear what it says, and we need to read it again, because remember, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph he is from the family of David, which means he's, no, he's not scrounging for an old barn in the back, but he's welcomed into a house. 
Joseph and Mary found lodgings in a private home in Bethlehem as opposed to a commercial inn. You see, the word Luke uses in, uh, in verses 7 for inn is katalama. 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 It basically means upper room, guest suite, guest room. So it's not talking about an inn as in like uh, the Best Western or I don't know why I keep saying the Best Western or the Holiday Inn or something like that. It's not like that. It's not like a tower block that, that, of, of, of some bloke sitting on reception saying, sorry, mate, I'm fully booked today. It doesn't work like that. You see, in Jesus' day, poorer families lived in homes with one large extended room. Sometimes there was a guest room on the same level or on the roof. And there was always a small area at ground level, under the same roof, where the family's animals were kept at night to keep them secure. And so what Luke is saying in this passage was, there was literally no more room. There was no place in the guest room of a private home. Uh, Somebody had already fulfilled that place. It was a busy uh, time. You know, all these people were coming to this place in order to register themselves so all of the private homes were filled. But it didn't mean that they were, were kind of kicked out into a barn. Because the guest room was already occupied, it says that Mary had to make do for the birth of Jesus in the living room. What's more, she used the cattle feeding trough or manger set up at the end of the raised floor of the living room to lay the baby down. You see, this is a really important image for us as the family of God, that actually we are called to make room for those who want to come to this house to create space for others, even when they come from a different place to us, because ultimately, here's the key thing that we need to take away from this today, my friends, is that we are all part of God's family. There was no room in the inn. In other words, the guest room was already filled but and this is one of those buts that I love but Joseph was from David's line David's house which means room was made and found and prepared for him and Mary it wasn't a rush job it wasn't like oh my gosh we need a place to stay quick Oh, yeah, you can have this. It was like, hey, we will make room for you in this house because you are from the line of David. And it is what we do. We welcome family in. You see, in this house, in God's house, we welcome everybody in. We prepare a place for you. And you should help us to prepare a place for others to join us. In this Christmas season, we're going to have more and more and more people hopefully coming to join us. Not because we want to build an empire, but because we're building the kingdom of God. And therefore, we are all called as the family members of God's house to prepare a place, even when it feels uncomfortable and tight at times. You see, this is the first Sunday in the run-up to Christmas. I am coming into land now. In this Advent period. And today we have lit the first candle of Advent, which is typically focusing upon hope. And in particular, the hope that Jesus' birth has brought us. But I do get it, that even after 
busting some myths and rethinking this story, you still might sit here thinking, I'm in a hopeless situation. I'm in a difficult situation. I'm not feeling very hopeful. Can I just say this? Hope is not lost. Hope is not lost because as this year comes to an end, we sometimes feel about sad about our goals or dreams that were not met. Or maybe people have died and things we've lost people, lost things. Maybe we don't understand what's happened and why this has happened. But you see, Christmas is a wonderful time to reflect upon the hope that Jesus brings us. I love what the writer of Romans, St Paul, writes in his letter. He writes hope, even while he was going, about hope, even though he was going through a real difficult time. He writes in Romans 15, verses 13, and follow on the screen, it's in the New International Version. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. I've used this Bible verse for the last three Christmases. It's been the Bible verse that has spoke to me most in these last three Christmases. And I haven't really fully grasped that until recently because I was at a minister's conference when um, our original leader read this out and he explained it a little bit more and I'm going to unpack it just briefly. And now I get it a little bit more. You see, four Christmases ago, or four years ago, last a week, my brother died, and I was here, in this church, working for this church, and it was a very difficult time for me, if I'm honest with you. I questioned my faith, questioned a lot of things, wasn't even sure if I was going to still be stood here. But this Bible verse has been real to me more in these last few years than any time before. May the God of hope fill you with all joy peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is our prayer. You see, hope flows out of your joy and peace. And that's not a place of happiness. It doesn't mean that I have to feel happy all the time. You don't have to come into church and think, gosh, I have to be happy and maybe I'm not a Christian because I'm not feeling happy. Hey, it's okay to feel downcast. Some of the biggest prophets in the Bible were downcast. They had a hard time feeling joyful, had a hard time feeling happy, should I say. But here's the thing. Happiness, our prayer is that, you, that your hope flows out of your joy and peace. And that's not a place of happiness, but out of something different, something holy from God. This verse isn't just about future context of time, but of all context of time, of past, future and Present, you see, presence, you see, Jesus came to bring hope to us and to remind us that even in the times that are difficult, we can still trust him. Uh, last week, as I mentioned, it was uh, an anniversary of my brother's death. Yesterday was his, his birthday. And on uh, Thursday, the th- so on Monday, it was the anniversary of his death. On the Thursday was my niece's uh, birthday, which was his daughter's birthday. And yesterday... It was his birthday. It's a bit of a hell of a week for us as a family. It's a difficult week this week, just gone by. But I am reminded throughout this process of grief that I'm still in, and I don't fully get, and I'm not fully there, okay? I do feel sad at times. I, I might look like Tigger all the time and buddy the up, but there's moments where I still feel sad. And here's the key thing, confused. 
Why did a 34-year-old man have to die when he was leading the church and a young family? I still don't get that fully. But what I do take from it is, even though I don't have all the answers, I can still trust God. He's still good. He's still kind. He's still faithful to me. And out of it, out of all that grief and difficulty, I do see life coming from it. You see, trusting him for the things that have happened, not just for the things to come, that we're, the things that we don't understand, that we can't seem to grasp, this is really important in building our faith in him. It creates in us a dependency on him greater than we could ever understand. It creates in us a hope and a joy and a peace that we could ever understand beyond my explanation. So when people say, well, how can you trust God when, he's done this, when this thing has happened? How can I trust God? Because God didn't give him cancer. God didn't make all these things happen to him. But what I do witness throughout that time was my brother's faith in Jesus increase and grow. I witnessed other people come to faith as a result of it. I witnessed uh, my own faith increase as a result of all the prayers that I would spend hours praying over. And yeah, they weren't necessarily answered in the way that I expected them to be answered. And that is really painful for us as a family. And we're still walking through that. But what I do know is that I've come out still trusting Jesus, still loving Jesus, and still believing in Jesus. It doesn't change my faith or my hope in him because there's something deeper. It's his Holy Spirit. And you see, when Jesus come, came, he came to bring his hope. He came to bring his peace and comfort. And even in those moments, that we can't understand, that there'll be moments in your life that you still can't work out why this has happened or why such and such is going on in the world, you can still trust in Jesus, still have the hope in him. The things that we don't understand, that we can't seem to grasp, but this verse reminds us that he's faithful and loving. And what God wants us to learn is to trust him fully because the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. Why? So that you may overflow with it and offer it to others. You see, the greatest gift that we receive, the reason of the season was Jesus. And as a result, we are adopted into the family. We are here by plan and design. And finally, we can know above all else that even when we don't think there's room in the house for us and our issues, we will always be made welcome by the family of God. Why? Because he fills us with hope and joy and peace and comfort and that is what Christmas is truly about. And so how do we finish today? I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray in a moment. We prayed a couple of weeks ago when Joe preached and it was, oh, I thought it was awesome seeing people respond. I'm going to pray in a moment that the God of hope will fill you with his Holy Spirit. Not to just sit there and go, whoa, this is a wonderful feeling. But in order for you to do something with it. In order for you to go out and to invite somebody else in to experience what you have experienced. You see, this Christmas, this season that we're in, these next four weeks, we've got a series of events that you can keep inviting people to. 
And in January, we've got a thing called Alpha about to happen. And we want to invite people to. Why? Because we want people to experience the God of hope and joy and peace and comfort and come on this journey and feel like they have a place to call their home as well. You see, Joseph found a place with Mary because he was from the house of David. And there are many people out there who have bad family names or bad family history. They have great family history out there as well. But in here, as I learned around my father-in-law's table, everybody is welcomed around the father's table. Everybody is welcomed in the father's house. Does not matter where you come from or your, your background. But he wants to welcome us all in. And our role, all of our roles, is to evangelise, is to love, is to offer this hope and this peace. And so let me pray. And as I pray... I'm going to suggest a few things in my prayer, and this might be for you. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus from heaven to earth. You stepped out of your throne room into this rotten place because you love us. And Father, I pray right now that you, the God of hope, would fill each and every one of us with your joy and your, uh, and your peace as we start to trust in you. Lord, I pray from, uh, for all of us, including me, that you would raise our faith levels in this season, Lord God. Over these next few days and weeks ahead, Lord God, would you raise our faith levels as we start to trust in you, Lord Jesus. May we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would start to fill our hearts, Lord Jesus, powerfully right now. That you start to put people into our minds, Lord Jesus, who we may invite to come to church. Not because we want to create an empire, but because we want to build your kingdom. We want to see people saved from from (laughs) certain death. God, I pray right now, That we would practice welcoming someone into our homes this week, into this spiritual house, Lord God. I pray we would invite a friend over maybe, who maybe you've not seen for a while. That Lord, you would start putting people into our hearts and our minds that that we haven't seen for a while. That we're concerned about. Lord, I pray that we would invite them in. Maybe go and see them, Lord Jesus. Just start putting those people into our pathway this week, Lord. (coughs) Lord, I pray... That we would start to maybe share some time with certain individuals, Lord God. Maybe a colleague at work. Maybe you put that certain colleague into people's hearts, Lord God. Right now. Someone that you can share Jesus with. Lord, I pray that you give us the words, Lord God. Not, not over the top, Lord God, but just being welcoming. Offering hope and peace by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, Lord Jesus, we ask. Lord, I pray that you would put into place, uh, into our minds, maybe people that we see in and around our community, in and around our town, who need hope and peace, that we can practically meet their needs, Lord God. With food, with hampers, with invites to come to warm welcome on a Wednesday. Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, right now, that you would put into our hearts people that we can invite to a church event this season. People that we can invite to the carol concert, maybe, Lord Jesus, who don't yet know you or are on a journey and still not made a commitment, God. That they can hear the truth of that you are a God of hope and peace by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray 
that the one of the most spiritual actions that happens in this place would be next week when we see 700 people come into this place. God, we pray right now, prophetically, that those people would come and engage with your Holy Spirit. That they're not just coming for a free selection box and a picture with the fat man in a red suit, but Lord, they were coming and they would have an encounter with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for every seat in this place that would be filled on that day. I pray for every seat in this place that would be filled at the carol concert. I pray for all of the parents coming, for the nativities that we're going to have here for the, for the nursery. God, would you fill this place with your hope and your peace. In this season, as we track through this Christmas season, Lord God, would we know above all else, Lord God, that we are people filled with your Holy Spirit. That we would overflow, Lord God, not with weirdness, but with joy and hope and comfort and peace, Lord Jesus. Just as a fruit of your spirit. Pray this now in your mighty name. Amen.